Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Armand Lee, and I'm back for a brand new episode of The Quarterly Report. Thank you so much for joining me. I had a week-long vacation, so thanks for sticking around. But I picked a great week to come back. The NBA offseason has been amazing. So to discuss, I'm going to bring in the big guns. My man himself, Chris Miller, is going to stop by as we discuss all the comings and goings, decisions, and player movement that has gone on with the association. Plus, Floyd Mayweather has a way of bringing out people's moral authority when it comes to what you should boycott. But when you do that, you're walking a really fine line. And I try to give everyone caution so you don't end up looking like a hypocrite. All that and so much more. But first, a topic that I'm sure many of you all know that I'm going to start with. Ding dong, the Wicked Witch is dead. And that witch I'm referring to is Phil Jackson. His ass is finally gone from the New York Knicks. Thankfully, mercifully, James Dolan finally had enough. Now, I'm a Knicks fan. It's the only professional or college team that I love. The only team I love, right? I've been a Knicks fan my entire life. I'm 34 years old, so I've seen relative highs, especially when I was, you know, preteen and a teenager. And really since my 18th birthday, it's been nothing but tragedy and awful basketball. Something that the Knicks specialize in. But it feels like the last three years especially the last year and a half, we have maximized our effectiveness of being a laughing stock and an awful franchise. I, I may sound like I'm exaggerating right now, but it truly is the absolute truth. The New York Knicks specialize in being a disaster. And nothing, I thought nothing would be able to trump Scott Layden and Isaiah Thomas. But somehow, some way, in just three and a half, if that, many years, Phil Jackson has managed to do that. Now, the this news broke early, really early Wednesday morning. So I'm still asleep. I wake up Wednesday morning, you know, about to get my baby, make her breakfast, take her off the day camp. And I check my phone, which now... Unfortunately, it's part of my normal routine, and I see that the Knicks have let go or decided to part ways with Phil Jackson, however you want to phrase it. Slim. I almost immediately dropped to my knees and let out hallelujah on the spot, bro. And y'all think I'm joking, but I'm dead ass. Because in a, in a relative short amount of time, Phil Jackson has managed to somehow make Carmelo Anthony a sympathetic figure. He has somehow managed to have Nick fans who have been conditioned to hate James Dolan, beg for James Dolan to come to the rescue. And the one good thing Phil Jackson has done, I wouldn't say the one, one of the few, clearly the best thing Phil Jackson has done, draft Kristaps Porzingis. He even threatened to trade him. Understand this, like I said in the opening. I was on vacation last week. I'm off in Hawaii. Beautiful. I'm with my family, my sister, my daughter, probably my future brother-in-law. I'm having a great time. I even won my second Emmy, right? Having a blast. Loving life, enjoying everything. And I guess two days before the draft last week, my homeboy, shout out to Mike Lynch, one of the smartest basketball minds in the world, Sports Info 24-7 on Twitter. Check him out. He sends me a text, and it's from Adrian Wojnarowski with the blue check mark, so I know it's legit. And it says, sources, the Knicks are now taking calls on tr a possible trade of Kristaps Porzingis. And instantly, just like that, my vacation took a sharp left turn. Now, Hawaii, there's a six-hour time difference in Hawaii, all right? So I'm suffering through jet lag as it is. My man sends me this text, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern time, which means it's 4 a.m. Hawaii, and I couldn't go back to sleep because at that moment, I'm on Twitter like a junkie. I'm like, Slim, this can't be what's going on. 
What are we thinking? What's happening? Phil's got to get fired. The draft is in two days. What the hell are we doing? Literally, just like that. You know what I'm saying? So it's easy for me to become, you know, emotional, a little bit hyperbolic when it comes to speaking about the Knicks. And I don't mean to, okay? I was watching television earlier today in this first take. I usually don't watch that show, but I, I watched Dan Levertard and or listen to Dan Levertard, and they have a new segment where they instantly go, they just listen to first take. That's part of the show. It's really genius because when Stephen A gets going, it's entertaining if nothing else. And today they had Will Kane on. And Will Kane, I don't know if any many of you are familiar. I actually enjoy him. Uh, we share almost polar opposite opinions on <laughs> almost everything. I shouldn't say that, but many things, both sports world and outside of the sports landscape. But somehow, he decided to take the position that Phil Jackson is somehow not the problem with the Knicks. And it's been overblown. It's been, he's been the victim of a mob mentality on how he's run the Knicks. I know we are full of contrarian. I'm a, a contrarian myself. Uh, and it's become almost lucrative to just take the opposite opinion of everyone else. You know, when I do it, I genuinely mean it. Um, and I don't know him from Moses. You know what I mean? And maybe he feels this way. But I didn't think Stephen A. did a, a good enough job articulating just how awful Phil Jackson has been. So for the first quarter of this topic, because this is therapy for me, because I'm just so overjoyed. I'm so elated with the news. I'm just going to let everyone know who can hear my voice why I'm so excited and just how awful Phil has been in three plus years. That he's been worse than Scott Layden. He's been worse than Isaiah Thomas. Phil Jackson, literally the worst general manager that the Knicks or president of basketball operations, however you want to classify him, the worst one in Knicks history. And I'm just going to go over just a few, his greatest hits or greatest misses, as you will. As soon as Phil Jackson took over, in full disclosure, when Phil got hired, I was elated. I was all in. I was like, yo, Big Chief Triangle, baby. You understand? I was with it. You know, I was down with Phil Jackson. He was going to be the savior. I fell into the booby trap. Okay, full disclosure. First thing Phil Jackson did, he trades Tyson Chandler. Now, on the surface, cool. Tyson and Melo, they had a contentious relationship. It wasn't working. It was clear that the Knicks needed a really true rebuild. So trading Tyson was dope because Tyson and Carmelo at the time were our two assets. Again, got to remember, Carmelo now is viewed so much differently than Carmelo three plus years ago. And so is Tyson. So when I found out that Tyson got traded, I was like, yeah, let's go. He got traded to Dallas. But we traded Tyson Chandler for Jose Calderon, Samuel Dallenberg, and an early second round pick that ended up being Clee Anthony early. At that moment, I was like, okay, something's wrong here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because Tyson Chandler was just a few years removed from defensive player of the year. He was coming up on the end of his contract, so it will be a salary dump. And Tyson Chandler was still an effective basketball player. So remember this. Here's something to give some to provide some context. The following year, the very next year, Timothy Mozgov was traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers for two first-round picks. And the Cavaliers are in championship or bust mode, right? Because they got LeBron. Every year you got LeBron, you're going for a win. Phil Jackson was on a team looking, right, to rebuild. The team that is going for the championship gets two first-round picks. The team who should be going for the first-round picks got old players in a second-round pick for one of the best centers at the time. That's just to let that's just the tip of the iceberg, but that was enough to give me an uneasy feeling in my stomach. Like, okay, Phil may not know what the hell he's doing. Then the coup de gras. The Carmelo Anthony free agency. Now, anyone who knows me knows that my love affair with Carmelo Anthony was quick because I didn't want him to come in the fashion that he came. We traded for Melo when we should have just waited. The moment that Carmelo Anthony 
was traded for, right? The moment we gave up Danilo Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, uh, Timothy Mozgov, a first-round pick, an expiring contract, and Raymond Felton, even though I hate Raymond Felton, I was like, okay, he's got a lot to do to win win me over. So it's safe to say I wasn't really the biggest Carmelo Anthony fan initially and definitely not when his contract was up. So I was like, yo, let him go. If he wants to trade, do a sign and trade, do whatever you want. But if Melo wants to leave, let's find a way that we can make it work for him financially by getting something in return. There was talk about the Chicago Bulls. We could have got picks. We could have got Miritich. Maybe we could have got Jimmy Butler, depending on who you listen to. It's probably a long shot, but it was a re- it was definitely reported that that could have happened. He was talking about maybe going to the Lakers. Maybe we could have worked something out. Picks, you know, what have you. Jordan Clarkson, what have you. But no, Phil Jackson not only resigned Carmelo Anthony, not only did he only sign him to just a shade under the Mega Max, but then Big Chief Triangle decided to, just because he's a kind soul, offer a no-trade clause to Carmelo. Voluntarily gave him a no-trade clause that was ultimately the thing that brought him to his knees. So those two things were the bit like early on in Phil Jackson's tenure, those two moves basically just was like, okay, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He's competing against himself. We also have the Derrick Rose trade that was awful. He hired Derrick Fisher, who was a jerk and a creep and who was awful. He kept Kurt Rambis, who was awful. I mean, literally, time after time after time. Decision after decision after decision. Everything Phil Jackson touched in New York was trash, with the exception of one thing. One beautiful seven foot three Latvian thing. Of course, I'm talking about the unicorn, Kristaps Porzingis. He came from the heavens, and although we Nick fans have sized Kristaps beyond belief, he is overrated. He had regressed. In the second year. But I don't care. I love Kristaps. I love Kristaps. My daughter loves Kristaps. Kristaps is, is like family to me. You understand? And this mother. I'm not going to curse. When it came to my attention. That the one good thing. Phil Jackson has done. He was on the verge of letting go. That's when I was like. Okay enough is enough. That's when I was like. Okay. We may really have to stage a riot. Like Nick fans across the world will have to unite like Voltron and just force Dolan to do something. He even had the audacity to contemplate trading Kristaps to the Boston Celtics. Oh my God, those are fighting words. I was ready to slap Phil Jackson across the face. You understand? It was really that serious. We was really gonna take it there, body punches. I was going to give him like 19, you know, noogies, a wedgie, the whole nine. I wasn't playing with him. You understand? Stone Cold Stunner. You name it. I was about to hurt Phil Jackson. And thankfully, thankfully, someone in New York came to their senses and was like, okay, enough is enough. His ass is gone. A lot of people were talking about, hey, man, you could have done it a few months earlier. Look, it's not my money. James Dolan sneezes millions of dollars so if he's got enough money to to buy out phil jackson god bless him i don't care that it happened months after he uh opted in to two more years i don't care i don't care phil jackson was able to do one thing well in new york and that was draft he gave us chris tops the unicorn he gave us willie herman gomez and now he got french frank you know i'm good i'm good with that get your ass out the door you understand so when i heard Will Kane and I read other people kind of being playing devil's advocate or just outright coming to the defense of Phil Jackson. I want to tell them to sit their ass down because they don't know. They don't know. Phil Jackson, I truly believe, was trying to sabotage the Knicks or at least just try to get fired because there is no earthly way you can defend one of the moves that I just named, let alone all of them. And mind you, I left out Joe Kim Noah. I left out trading 
J.R. Smith and Shumpert for nothing. I left out all these extra details. All of them. I left out the triangle. I left out publicly humiliating Carmelo. The only reason Melo's trade value is next to nothing is because of Phil Jackson. All of these things together are more than enough for any reasonable person, reasonable person to be like, Phil has no clue. So I don't want to hear anybody coming to Phil Jackson's rescue. Phil Jackson is an amazing head coach. Phil Jackson probably has got the best weed in the world. And if he wants to lay low in a Tempe in Montana, God bless him. Stay the hell away from my New York Knicks. I feel better. I feel better. This is a time for rejoicing. I don't need to be stressed right now, baby. All year I've been begging for Sam Henke, Messiah Jerry, and now David Griffin is available. One of those three. That's it. Just give me one of them. Preferably Henke. Right. If I had my if I was able to choose that, I, I, I asked for hanky. But if not, that's fine. Just give me one of those three. That's it. And let's get going. <sighs> All right. I promise you no more Knicks talk, at least from me for the rest of the show. The show you're listening to, though, is the quarterly report. And make sure you follow the show on Twitter. We're at quarterly Q.U.A.R.T.E.R.L.E.E. show. Follow the show. Also, Make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes. Subscribe. All you have to do is do a search for quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. The show icon with my face will pop up. Click the link, subscribe, and please rate and review while you're at it. All right. The New York Knicks side of the crazy offseason is over, but the NBA world kept on churning, and that's what we're going to focus on for our second topic this week. Second quarter. Now that we got the New York Knicks mess out of the way, the rest of the NBA has lost their damn minds as well. The last time I talked to you, we were just a few hours removed from Golden State winning their second championship in three years. And literally, since that moment, the entire NBA lost its damn mind. It all started, all the madness, all the excitement started with the Boston Celtics, who at the time had the number one overall pick in June's NBA draft. They decided to trade back two spaces with the Philadelphia 76ers for picks and whatever. So the Sixers ended up drafting the consensus best player or the player with the most talent and upside Markel Fultz to seemingly complete the process and load Philadelphia up with a bunch of talented, at least on paper, talented and amazing young players. Boston got more picks and drafted the player that I I guess they wanted all along in Jason Tatum and positioned themselves theoretically to make a move for, I talked about the potential Chris Stops trade, but Jimmy Butler, Paul George, Blake Griffin. Boston has been linked to almost every top free agent player other than Chris Paul this offseason. So all this happens before the draft. We're like days like five days before the draft when this trade goes down and everyone's losing it because on the one hand, you're like, wow, Philadelphia. And this was a beautiful thing. I have been, as you know, a Sam Hankey supporter, right? I talked about earlier in the show, like one of the first shows we did about how the process was while great in theory and had holes because it didn't necessarily address what Philadelphia's main issues were. But I loved Sam Hankey because of the vision and what he saw that to do. So it was funny seeing all the people who hated Sam Hankey, who who loved to rip him publicly at every chance they got, then say, oh man, look at Philadelphia. They could get Markel Fultz and yada, yada, yada. It's like, oh, hey, you understand they were only able to get Markel Fultz because of all the assets and flexibility that Sam Hankey basically gave to the Colangelos, right? They inherited this treasure trove of, draft picks and young contracts and movable contracts and flexibility. This was all Hanky's work. So I got a kick out of seeing all these national pundits just basically with no, not a sense of irony, just applaud the move that Philadelphia did without even addressing just the hint of man, damn Hanky really knew what he was doing or Hanky, the, the hard work actually paid off. 
but I don't want to get caught down and bogged down into just the Sam Hankey aspect of this because so much happened after the trade, right? Boston was loaded up with more picks. You figured they would have the third pick. They have pieces. They, too, have young players and a lot of picks that they can move around in case they wanted to swing for the fences for one of the big names who had been mentioned that they were in the, the they were willing at least to be moved or trade traded. Uh, so Boston, a team who went to the conference championship, the team who had the best record in the Eastern Conference this year, they were positioning themselves quite well to make a big run. And then the draft happens, right? And Philadelphia takes Markel Fultz, but then Jimmy Butler gets traded from Chicago to Minnesota. And that in itself was crazy on so many levels. Crazy number one, what the hell is Chicago? What what are the Bulls doing? Jimmy Butler easily, easily is one of the 10 to 15 best players in the league. Easily, right? And I'm I'm giving 15 just to give you like a, a nice number. You know what I mean? He's closer to the 10 than he is to the 15. So they just give him up for picks. And an injured player, Zach Levine, a guy who's coming off MCL injury, who you're going to have to make a decision on about what you're going to pay him because he's a restricted free agent after this season. And as anyone who follows the NBA, because so many MCL injuries happen, anytime someone has an injury to their knee, they always say it takes about two years for you to reach your best. Like the first year you can re- return and you can play, but you're really at your your best, your optimal level, two years after the injury. So they're going to have to make a decision on Zach Levine before he's even at his best following this knee surgery. And then they get a bunch of picks. Now, the Bulls make one of the dumbest decisions in recent history via a trade because they literally – they get worse like all the the two picks Chris Dunn and and the pick that they ended up drafting I forget his name you hope you hope they're half as good as Jimmy Butler Jimmy Butler's still young and Jimmy Butler is on a cost-controlled contract remember Butler signed his deal before the cap spike so what he's getting paid right let's say Zach Levine has a really good year this year you're probably going to have to if not max him come close to maxing him Zach Levine will then be getting paid as much or probably more than Jimmy Butler, although Zach Levine's not anywhere close to being the player Jimmy Butler is. It's just dumb on all levels. But it's also dumb for Minnesota because let's not forget, last season, the Timberwolves could have got Jimmy Butler for just Zach Levine and Chris Dunn. This year, they had to add on a top 10 pick. So they're dumb too. You know what I'm saying? Like, just because they're smarter than Chicago doesn't erase the foolish decision. You know, if I have a chance to get better, let me get better instantly before I have to get better and then give more away. Imagine if you got Towns, Jimmy, right? And a top 10 pick. Now, if Jimmy Butler was on the Timberwolves, they wouldn't be as bad as they were last year. They probably, if not make the playoffs, are closer to making the playoffs. So I understand they wouldn't have a top 10 pick. But you get the overall point. You could have got Jimmy Butler for less last season. You waited a year. You get the same player. You get just one year less of his contract, and you had to give up another asset. It's not really intelligent. But they're dumb. And then the entire NBA, essentially, other than Bob Myers and R.C. Buford, you know, everyone else is stupid because you've got all these teams falling over themselves trying to get a deal in place to trade for Paul George. Jimmy Butler is a better player than Paul George. Jimmy Butler doesn't have the injury history that Paul George has. And Jimmy Butler is actually under contract. So Paul George has one year left on his deal. And then, so if you trade for him, there's no guarantee that he stays. So you could just be giving up assets for nothing for a one-year rental. And then you're going to have to pay him more money than you have to pay Jimmy. Again, Jimmy is already locked in to contract. Paul George is about to opt out. So you have a cost control contract, a cost control player who's not nearly as injured, or I shouldn't say nearly, who doesn't have the severe injury history that Paul George has, and a cost control player who doesn't have the severe injury, who's better. So all these teams are going crazy trying to compete for Paul George, while the Timberwolves basically was like, okay, 
Y'all wanted this last year. Hey, let's try to make the same deal again, and we'll just throw in this one extra pick. While every other, I just couldn't believe it. You know, it was insane. It was insane. So now Paul George, he's still kind of floating in the wind. Some team is going to get him. I don't know who it's going to be. The Cl- and then, so we talked about Wednesday when the when the Knicks let go of Phil Jackson. Hours later, like I took a nap after I dropped my daughter off. I wake up and I find out that Chris Paul got traded to the Houston Rockets. And I was just like, what? What is going on? We all can argue about fit and all this other stuff when it comes to Chris Paul and James Harden. I will say this. I will always side with the team who has the talent. Chris Paul and James Harden are two of the best 10 players in the league. I don't know how it's going to work out, but Daryl Morey and the Houston Rockets went for it. And I'm not mad at him. And honestly, I like Patrick Beverly. I like Patrick Beverly a lot. But they really didn't give up much. You know, they, Chris Paul's one of the 10 best players in the league. They give up Patrick Beverly, a legit starter who's on a very good contract. They give up Sam Decker, a second-year player who we still really don't know how good he is. They give up a first-round pick and then a bunch of guys. So, I mean, ultimately... Considering everything, the Clippers did a good job because you got two starters. You got one starter for sure, a young prospect and a pick. And in this day and age, if you can get that, you know, you, you didn't get fleeced. You got something, you know, and you can, you can theoretically, depending on how Sam Decker develops, you may have something there with him and you can have something that you could build with. Houston, they get, they get one of the best players in the league. In my opinion, one of the five best players in the league. To go on with your MVP runner-up. But then, but then it comes out that the Clippers had a chance to trade for Carmelo during this past season. But Doc Rivers, some for whatever reason, and again, we don't know how true this is. But the reports are that the New York Knicks were going to be willing to trade Carmelo Anthony and Sasha Vujicic, who's just a throw-in. Don't even worry about him. It's essentially Carmelo Anthony. For Jamal Crawford, Austin Rivers, and I don't remember the last the last piece, but it wasn't anything important. It wasn't anything you would think it would be, right? It's nothing of any importance. And Doc Rivers rejected the trade. And Chris Paul gets upset because he's like, yo, I think you're only rejecting this trade because your son, Austin Rivers, is a part of it. And that is what, if you're to believe the reports, is the driving force behind Chris Paul's unhappiness and his eagerness to leave Los Angeles. So the Clippers make a dumb decision by not trading for Carmelo. The Knicks and Phil Jackson were basically going to give Carmelo Anthony away for nothing. And this all happens within just a few days of each other. Everyone in the NBA has gone mad except for Golden State. And so imagine how the Warriors must feel. Not only are the Warriors best positioned, not only are the Warriors intelligent and have all these great young players in their primes, all locked up, all under contract, they're seeing the rest of the league, the guys who are supposed to be competing with them, fall over themselves trying to showcase the world who's the dumbest team in the league. Don't get mad at Kevin Durant for making the Warriors a super team. Get mad at your GM. Because chances are, they're dumb as hell. Trust me, I know. I'm a Knicks fan. All right, guys, that's two quarters down. Two more on the way. Thank you for listening to the Quarterly Report. I am your host, Armand Lee, back off of a week's vacation. Some house cleaning first. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter. We're at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Also, follow me as well on Twitter. I'm Armon, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. All right. So, have time now. And again, this show is going to be heavy NBA. Two quarters in, we got two NBA topics, and we got one more to go with my man Chris Miller. So, that forced me to kind of take some topics that I wanted to do off the table. But, no worries. We always have the hotline to give some of the more famous sports and entertainment figures a chance to, you know, get some stuff off their chest and for me to give them some advice because this week, a lot of people needed it. Check it out. 
Yeah, we smoothing it out this week. Once again, it's the Quarterly Report Hotline. I'm trying to give you the best advice, help you get out of whatever jam you may be going through. First caller, what's your name and where you from? Yo, this is Joey from Jers. Got a little bit of a problem. You may have seen me. I was at an award show this weekend, and these three Migos actually tried to run up on me. Everybody saw it. And now I got this reputation that I'm like a hater. Like I hate all these young kids, and I do. But man, people forget, like, I dropped classics, man. I, I literally gave people music for their moves. Three different times. Classics. And now I'm always acting like, you know, people perceive me as the old grumpy, you know, guy from Jersey. I don't wanna be that. You know, I can really snap, I can really lyrically get down. You know, I slaughter, I got a slaughterhouse for real, for real. So what should I do? How can I break this reputation? And how can I make sure that I don't run into the Migos again? With all due respect, Joey, you sound like a hater. And everyone knows how we at the Quarterly Report Hotline feel about haters. You need to go ahead and clean that up. But look, man, if you are worried about how you or your legacy is going to turn out, you're the only person who can change it. You know, if people are now starting to look at you as the old grumpy guy as opposed to the man who gave us the mute musics and Slaughterhouse, only you can change that. Look, there's a way to be critical without being disrespectful. And I'm assuming if someone were to disrespect you and your craft, you'd have a problem with it. So why would you then turn around and do it to these younger generations? Look, man, trying to take on youth and new and creative and different is a losing battle. So you might as well check yourself, look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, do you want to be the grumpy old guy, the curmudgeon, or do you want to be someone who helps move the culture forward? You're the only one who can answer that question. And if you keep on going down this road, people won't know you for your classics in the past. They'll just know you for the guy who fights the future. All right, that's my first call. Next one up. This is the Quarterly Report Hotline. What's your name and where you're from and what's your question? Hey, I love the hotline. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. My name is John from New York. Anyway, you may have heard, I got myself in a bit of a firestorm this week. I was being interviewed, and I said Serena Williams was the greatest woman tennis player. But when the interviewer questioned me and pushed it further and asked why I qualified it as just a woman's tennis player, I said she couldn't beat the 700th best male player. And then all hell broke loose. Why is everyone so mad at me? And am I wrong for my stance? I'll hang them down and listen. Thank you. Thanks for the call. And yes, John, I did hear your interview. And yes, you did step in it. Uh, I gotta be honest. I was surprised at how big this got on both ends of the spectrum. But we gotta be honest when we talk about Serena. Serena Williams isn't just the greatest woman tennis player, definitely of her generation. But she's probably the greatest tennis player and she's probably the best, the greatest athlete. Or you can make the case of her being the greatest athlete of this generation, period. No matter the sex, no matter the sport. I mean, look at her contemporaries. Tiger's reign hasn't been as long and as dominant. Neither is Tom Brady's or LeBron's. I guess the only people you would really be able to compete with her in a term of this generation's and greatest athlete is Michael Phelps, Katie Ledecky, and Floyd Mayweather. So when you said that she's the greatest woman's tennis player of all time, that was true. I think you're, you are absolutely right on that. But the problem is, and to be fair, the interviewer you had that asked you a very clumsy question. I think the only issue I could say with you is you could have answered it with more nuance, but you don't have to. That's your opinion. You said that she's the greatest women's tennis player of all time. The interviewer asked, why are you qualifying it with women's tennis player? And then you responded, she couldn't beat the 700th best male tennis player. And that's why you can't say she's the greatest tennis player of all time. That my friend is where you stepped in it. Cause that's silly. Look, y'all know me, I'm a huge boxing fan. In my opinion, and others agree, Sugar Ray Robinson is the greatest boxer of all time. If Sugar Ray Robinson, in this hypothetical scenario, fought Mike Tyson a hundred times, Mike Tyson would beat Sugar Ray Robinson a hundred times and probably knock him out a hundred times. But no one in their right mind would tell you that Mike Tyson 
is a greater boxer than Sugar Ray Robinson. And I gotta get credit where credit is due. This analogy is not mine. It's Mike Greenberg from Mike and Mike. But it was perfect. Like, if you understand that Sugar Ray Robinson can't beat Mike Tyson, but is still greater than Mike Tyson in their field, then you understand this entire, you know, debate. Serena Williams isn't competing against men. And that's fine because that's not what her job is. That's not what she's tasked to do. Her greatness has nothing to do with men. So while I was uh, I was surprised at the level of outrage on both sides of this argument, I understood why people on Serena's side was outraged more. Because if you are fighting for a woman's equality, if you're a woman, you get sick of always having what you do compared to men. A man has no bar, no bearing on what Serena Williams does. It shouldn't have, it, it shouldn't matter. So you bringing that into this debate makes no sense. Is Mike Tyson greater than Sugar Ray Robinson? Absolutely not. Is the 700th or 600th or 500th greatest male tennis player greater at tennis than Serena Williams? Hell no. So what's your point, John? So while I appreciate your honesty and candor and I wish we had more, that's how you feel, that's how you feel. No one should be mad at you giving your honest opinion. But you also have to be smarter than this because honestly, that response and the people who are defending you sound no more than a third grader in a battle of the sexes competition. This has, this has been integrated into a childlike argument when all of us know better. Serena Williams, no matter who she can or can't beat, she is the, one of the greatest athletes of all time because the people who she plays against, she beats often and she dominates them. All right, that's my time this week for the Quarterly Report Hotline. I'll see y'all in a few weeks with more questions and more answers. Man, there have been so many interesting and fun topics to discuss over the past two weeks. I was chomping at the bit on vacation trying to get back so I could at least give my voice and my opinion to some of these really big topics. So, you know, I went on the hotline to answer a few of them. That John McEnroe, Serena Williams thing, though, that was a bit nuts. I was like, come on, man. Like, what are we doing? Like I said, that that denigrated quickly to an elementary school battle of the sexes. I'm like, we're all adults. We, all, we, we should be better. We should be further along than this. You know what I mean? And the fact that it was just such a big topic, it, like, dominated the first two days of the week. That's all there. John McEnroe went on, like, CBS this morning about that. It was like, come on, like, it's silly. But I understand it's June, it's late June, and the sports world is really, really slow. So people had to get up in arms about something, but it was silly. John McEnroe, come on, bro. But enough about that. Halftime is over. We've made our adjustments. We're going to start the second half off strong with an interview with my man, my big bro, CSM Mid-Atlantic's own Chris Miller. Third quarter. I've known this man for close to a decade now, and when he came from Cleveland, he instantly took me under his wing and helped me professionally in ways I can't even begin to describe. CSM Mid-Atlantic's own. He covers the Wizards. He knows the Wizards better than anyone. Chris Miller. Chris, thank you so much for joining me on the Quarterly Report, bro. What's going on, A. Lee? How you doing, man? Man, trying to get like you, see, man. I'm trying to get like you, bro. But, uh... We're going to start with the NBA in the wild offseason and uh, start with a team that you cover, the Washington Wizards. They've got a very interesting offseason. Um, obviously, the future and the contract of Otto Porter looms over everything. But Washington has also been tied loosely, maybe, but tied nonetheless to Paul George rumors, Blake Griffin rumors. So I'm curious to you, what is the most realistic move the Wizards do this offseason? I think I think keeping the team the way it was constructed is probably the most realistic and viable option for the Wizards. Armand, when you think about it, this is a team that if they want to do something bold, and you know, I, I even was on the record a couple of weeks ago before this whole Paul George thing came out, I said, "Listen, go get Melo." I mean, listen right. for what for for everything Melo isn't what he is is what the Wizards need, and that's a dynamic score. So that was a couple weeks ago. Now you look at these Paul George rumors and all of that. 
you know me personally. You know my favorite player in the league is Paul George. So when I yes, heard sir. that first, I was in Hawaii like, wait a minute, this is a joke, right? April Fool. But realistically, I just don't think the Wizards have enough pieces to make a deal like that with Indiana when there's so many other teams that have more viable options. So for me, I think the way the Wizards are currently constructed is probably the way that they're going to go, which means, you know, offering, you know, as close to a max or a max to Otto, maybe trying to bring back Boyan Bogdanovich. They've already made qualifying offers to both of them. They made the trade, giving up the 52nd pick in the second round to bring in a veteran in Tim Frazier who can back up John, which that position has kind of been a revolving door since John has been in the league. So, I don't necessarily think that this team is going to go over the luxury tax. They might go up to the threshold, but if that's the case, Armand, I think what you're going to see when the season tips off in late October is the same team that took the Celtics pretty much to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference semifinal. And, of course, we can't talk the Wizards without talking about, you know, your man and the guy who's made me look more like a fool than any other athlete I can remember, Bradley Beal. Um Bill's emergence this past season was amazing. And he kind of recessed the table for what the Wizards are. Um, you know, I famously, years and years now, since he was drafted, said I didn't think he was an elite player. He never he didn't really improve. All the all the data suggested that he was going to be this type of player. And then last season he erased all of it with just an amazing season. A season that was so much better than he has shown that he can do. Um throughout his career. So I'm curious to how you feel about Brad's emergence and how his play and his, um, his huge step this past season kind of changes things for the wizards and their outlook. Yeah. And he's now become a two way player. I thought he was the best on on ball defender for the wizards throughout the course of the season and the playoffs. So now he's become not only a shooter, uh, there was a certain friend of mine who will remain nameless that wanted him to be like Cal Corber. I won't mention who that guy was, but what I will say is Brad has taken uh, just being a Cal Corber type and taken it to a completely different level with his ability to create a little bit. The turnovers are still high, but also his ability to defend on the other end. Yeah, you're not going to hear me um, ripping Bradley Bill anymore. He shut me up pretty good last offseason. Uh, I'm joined now by the man who knows the Wizards better than anyone, my guy Chris Miller. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at CMill, C-S-N, that's C-M-I-L-L-S-C-S-N on Twitter. He's a great follow. He'll keep you up to date on all types of things, Wizards and NBA. And that's where we'll move now. Uh, The offseason has just started, and it's been absolutely crazy. I think the craziest thing that I've seen this offseason is the Minnesota Timberwolves getting Jimmy Butler for essentially a bag of groceries. So I'm curious, what has happened this offseason that has you scratching your head thinking to yourself, man, what were they thinking? Armand, I feel like I'm watching an episode of Star Wars where I feel like these teams are being Jedi mind tricked. It's the funniest thing to me because it's an overreaction, but – Here's the real truth about the NBA right now. You are either competing for a championship or you are building your team up for if and when LeBron gets old and Golden State might get tired of winning championships. That's the reality. There's a two-horse race. There's the Spurs. And then there's everyone else that's kind of in that middle ground Mm -hmm. or you're drafting in the lottery. You're drafting high picks. So I think teams need to figure out who we are, what's our window, when do we feel like we can take our seat at the table when LeBron descends and when Golden State decides they don't want to win any more championships. Because right now, as we speak, our market right. looks like it's going to be Golden State and Cleveland again next June. That's crazy. Four straight years of the same finals. Um, hopefully – NBA teams get themselves together because it's becoming so obvious and so clear that there are two teams above all else and one team that's really just standing over everybody while the rest of the league just runs around like the Three Stooges. Once again, I'm joined by my man Chris Miller. 
He knows the Wizards better than anyone. You can check him out on CSN Mid-Atlantic and also follow him on Twitter at CMillsCSN. That's C-M-I-L-L-S-C-S-N. He's got really dope stuff on his Twitter timeline. We're going to get you out of here with this. We're going to step away from basketball and end on a, a fun, lighthearted note. A few weeks ago, I was, you know, like every other basketball head, you know, the league is over with, so you need something new to watch. And I asked the people, you know, give me some shows to follow. And I kind of came down hard on power. And, man, let me tell you, everybody, almost everybody I know and many of the listeners ripped me instantly about how dare I talk about power, how I wouldn't be invited to cookouts, yada, yada, yada. My cousin even let me have it. So I know you love the show. So I'm going to get you out of here with this. Tell me, someone who is skeptical of the show, or listeners who may not have seen Power. What is so special about that show? Why do you love it so much? And why should I give Power another chance? Power to me is, uh, Ghost is the main character. His name is James Tech Patrick. He to me is what, if I was a gangster, which I'm not, <laughs> but if I was someone who was in the game, he would be the guy that I would love to be like. He, to me, is the Michael Jordan of gangsters because wow. he's so smooth with everything he does. He's very calculated in his his approach to the game and staying away from it and being a club owner but also being a distributor, how he lives like all of these multiple lives and able to figure it all out. He's got a wife and three kids. He's got a mistress. He's got a dry cleaning store. He's got all this stuff going on, Armada. You're thinking to yourself, Dog, how do you figure out wh- right. who, who are you today? Who are you at this hour? <laughs> it's not a day thing. It's like an hour. It's like, okay, I own dry cleaners. Okay, I'm leaving there. I'm going to Truth, which is his nightclub. Okay, I got a meeting with my distro uh, in Brooklyn, so I got to go there. And he's living all these lives. Got a mistress, got all these three kids <laughs> and a wife. I'm like, how are you? Fi- Joe, how you figured all this out? And he does it. And it's season four. 50 is the executive producer. It is just, it's the realest show on TV because it shows a gangster's multiple lives that he's leading and still trying to stay ahead of the feds, uh, rival distributors. I mean, right. his, and his his side piece. She's a fed, right? How do you do that? <laughs> oh, man. So, like I said a few weeks back, you know, I watched the first season, but everyone I know has told me that the show has gotten significantly better over the last two, three seasons. So, uh, I, I I know that there are a lot of people who love the show, but now, what he's in jail, right? Now, I don't want to ruin it for people that haven't, but his, uh, his side piece got him. She busted uh-huh. him. But the key to all this is, though, is she's so immersed into all of his drama that she could ultimately go down with him. So the dichotomy mm. of her thinking, okay, I can go down with him too if I have to testify or they put me on the stand. Do I do that or do I help him? So season four to me is going to be like, how is she going to figure it out? It's not so much ghost in season four. To me, it's about her figuring out, am I going to go down with him or I'm going to help him get out of prison? And that is the real key to season four of power. Mm, okay, so I see where we're going. No, I, I, mean, I need a power I, podcast. I, <laughs> hey, man, I saw you tweet about it this past weekend, you know, and I was like, man, my man C. Mill really likes this joint. And to your credit, it's one of the more popular shows, man. The ratings do well. They signed up, for, they've already been signed up for another season, past season four or so. You know, maybe I got to double back. I mean, the way you set it up, you know, it seems a little intriguing. So, you know, maybe I double back. Uh, but yeah, man, you know, a lot of people love the show, and clearly you're one of them. But you can't start now. You got to go back to season one and watch how all this unfolds. Because if you catch it up now, you're going to be like, oh, this is cool. But you got to really understand the backstory of Ghost and how he, again, how he lives in the ghost life and then how he lives as James St. Patrick. And it's just, and it's not, again, it's not daily. It's. An hour, I'm this guy. Okay, the next hour, I'm this guy. It's it's an amazing ride. Well, there you have it. Once again, that's my man, C. Mill. He covers the Wizards and every other local sports team in the D.C. area 
on CSN Mid Atlantic. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at C Mills CSN. That's C M I L L S C S N. Make sure you follow him on Twitter and check him out on your television screen. Chris, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. I'm on much respect, man. I'm a huge fan of the Quarterly Report. As soon as you start getting some merchandise, Make sure you holler at your boy, man. I definitely pay for a hat and a t-shirt. <laughs> All right, man. My man. My man. All right. So we just did a whole lot of NBA discussion, and the season's over. But for the fourth quarter, we're going to go bigger picture with something that may have started with boxing but affects all of us. It's our last topic this week. Fourth quarter. It's become common practice that every time Floyd Mayweather has a fight or a big event or does anything in the public sphere, there will be articles or blog posts or an analyst getting on some platform talking about why we shouldn't support him, why we shouldn't watch his fight or why, you know, we should take a stand and we should boycott. And the most recent uh, example of this Happened last week when I was on vacation and ESPN Sarah Spain had an article about why, you know, we as a um, as fans of sports, why do we still support Floyd Mayweather and what that says about us as fans, not, spe- not specifically individually, but just as us as an overall group of people who support Floyd and why, you know, we shouldn't be supporting him and make no mistake, Floyd is. What his actions to women are deplorable. They're awful. There is no excusing it. And Sarah Spain and others who highlight that. It's very important that we we get a, a full view of these people because we're so quick to throw our admiration at people because of their athletic prowess that oftentimes we overlook the the ugliness that they are as humans. And that is a dangerous thing to do because Everyone isn't going to be as athletic as Floyd, but many people will act like him because of the praise and because of what comes along with it. So I'm I'm, I'm naming Sarah Spain, not because I'm trying to be combative, because I'm actually a genuine fan of her. I appreciate her work and I enjoy her work. You know what I mean? But it got me thinking last week because far too often, and again, it happens every time Floyd fights, but Every time someone makes the claim that you shouldn't watch this or you shouldn't participate in this and we should boycott that. And if you watch this, what does it say about us as a fan or you as a fan? That's a real slippery slope because in the society in which we live in, there's always going to be something, you know what I mean? So if you take a stance on against Floyd Mayweather, that's one thing, right? Everybody has the right to to not like something or not watch something and not participate in something. The the problem, the issue lies when you start then telling other people they shouldn't or when you start questioning their integrity or what they stand for because they're not joining you. You know what I mean? That's when it becomes tricky because we all fall victim to that case in point. And again, I'm only using Sarah Spain. I'm not trying to be combative, but it was her article and I want to use specifics to her to show you how difficult this can be right she obviously works for espn as do you know a lot of the more you know a lot of the famous people that we talk about whether with your friends or on this show or whatever are on espn it's the worldwide leader in sports you know they they are on the radio they're on television they they broadcast the games there's a lot of the the main faces when it comes to analysis when it comes to sports right i don't know if you paid attention but ESPN is going really hard on this push with uh, a Manny Pacquiao fight this upcoming Saturday. You know, it's uh, they're televising his fight on Saturday on ESPN. It's a really big deal, especially internationally. Manny Pacquiao is one of the more popular fighters uh, internationally, and he has a huge fan base. You know what I mean? So this is going to be a successful uh, joint um, movement for ESPN. And how successful will depend on, you know, if they will do it again for his next fight. Um, but, you know, you've probably heard your favorite anchor, if you listen to a radio or whatever, uh, promote the fight. You know, they're even doing a first take special Friday night uh, the day before the fight. 
Now, many of you don't know this about Manny Pacquiao, even though he's been clear about it. He hasn't hit. He hasn't hit his feelings. He hasn't bit his tongue about it. Manny Pacquiao is homophobic. That's the nicest way I can possibly say it. I'm not going to read you some of his quotes. They're really disgusting when you when you when you hear what he feels about you know homosexuals. You know what I'm saying? Now. Using the logic that Sarah Spain and others have given in regards to Floyd Mayweather, right? If you take a stance against Floyd's fight, but you are reading a promotion or you're working for a company that is going to profit from having a homophobic athlete on their air, that doesn't make you someone who supports, you know, violence or crimes against homosexuals. You know what I mean? That's silly. And you can enjoy a Manny Pacquiao fight without agreeing with his feelings on homosexuals. You know, like that's like just because you eat at Chick-fil-A doesn't mean that you, you know, hate the homosexual lifestyles or you have ill will toward every homosexual. Likewise, if you're Catholic, you know, you see what's going on with the Cardinal. He's like the number three guy at the Vatican, you know, doesn't mean that you're you're okay with or it, uh, touching children like pedophilia, or if you went to Penn state or you buy Penn state apparel or you're an alumni, you know, like in our society, there's always something, you know, if you drive a car, do you know what the CEO feels about every different topic? Your bank, do you know what the CFO or CEO of your bank, the bank you choose to put your money in? Do you know how they feel about different issues? No, you don't. And if you did, if you did, just because you choose to bank there because of your personal convenience, does it then mean that you agree with them on a wide range of topics? No matter where you go in our country, there is always something ahead of a company uh, a main stockbroker, you know what I mean? A partner. There's always somebody or something or someone who will have some type of detestable, deplorable feelings towards something, whether it's religion, sexuality, race, how they treat women, whatever, you name it, how they pay people, you know? And to go back to Sarah Spain to give a specific example, right? She's a Chicago Cubs fan. As you all know, the Cubs won the World Series last year. They won and in a large part, thanks to Araldis Chapman, you know, uh, an amazing pitcher, you know, closer. But the Chicago Cubs, once last year, last season, played the song Smack My Bitch Up when Araldis Chapman was making his way onto the mound. It's important to know that Araldis Chapman has his own domestic violence history. Now, a lot of what people do when it comes to Floyd it's like, hey, you know, I can watch football. I, this is the way they rationalize it or criminalize. We all have to do some type of criminalize because we all have topics that are near and dear to us. Some of them are, some of them not. And that's fine. We're all individuals. We're not going to all feel the same way about everything. You know what I mean? And nor should we. But it's odd, like but when you're a Cubs fan, you know, and you support this team and you buy tickets and you buy jerseys and hats and all this other type of apparel, and your team is normalizing domestic violence, it's, it, you, you sound a little hollow when you're then saying, look, we shouldn't be watching Floyd Mayweather fights. And what does, what does this say about us as a society or as fans? Why do we keep on celebrating this man? Well, why do you keep on celebrating a team that, again, normalizes and some people would say makes jokes about a player's domestic violence. I'd argue, because a lot of people say, look, it's different with Floyd than it is with, let's say, Ben Roethlisberger, who has his own history, you know what I mean? Uh, because Floyd gets so much money, a fighter gets so much money based on their fight, so you're paying for a fight is literally putting money in the pockets of a fighter. And that's how people, again, that's how they rationalize. You can criminalize however you want. But if that's going to be the basis of your logic, I'd argue that nobody benefits. Floyd Mayweather may be more, you know, rich 
more wealthy than Aroldis Chapman or Ben Roethlisberger or, you know, name the athlete. But he's not, he doesn't have more money than the Chicago Cubs. He doesn't have more money than Major League Baseball or the NFL or the NBA. And I'd argue that no person, no group, no entity, no organization has done more to normalize violence against women, especially than professional sports, than leagues and teams. So if you want to take a stand, take the stand there. If you're saying, look, I'm not going to go as hard against these players because they don't make as much money. That's why I go at Floyd. Well, Floyd doesn't make nearly the amount of money as these teams and these leagues do, right? And this is also another issue I have because it happens with Floyd so much. Floyd is such a big star that people only talk about boxing often when it comes to Floyd. But a lot of the people, and I'd assume this, I may be wrong. I think Sarah Spain is one of them. And others, it's not just her. They make these harsh statements on Floyd and like, we should boycott Floyd and why do people watch Floyd and you shouldn't watch Floyd. They make these, they draw these hard lines when it comes to Floyd because they're not boxing fans. So then you got to ask yourself, well, what type of stand are you actually even trying to do? It's easy to say, let's not watch something that doesn't matter to me. You know what I mean? My, I, and that's not me pointing at other people. That's me talking about myself. Racism is a big thing. Bothers me a lot. You understand? I'm not going to go into it, but you would, you can understand why. You know, one of the worst things that has ever happened in the history of humanity. But, so, you know, because of that, there are a lot of things that I don't watch. Like Conor McGregor, the guy who will be fighting Floyd Mayweather. He has said some really rude racist remarks regarding Latin American Latinos, you know, I'm like, okay, that's not really my speed. I'm not really going to watch this fight. Mind you, I'm not a mixed martial arts guy. I like boxing, but I don't like MMA. Now, also I'm a huge NBA fan and we all know about the history of Donald Sterling, you know, not just the, the phone calls about Magic Johnson, He's done some really racist things in the past when it comes to regular, ordinary people trying to live. He was a slumlord based on race. Like, look at his housing history and how he, you know, had to settle out of court because one of the largest lawsuits against him in American history. Right. But I still watch the Clippers because basketball means more to me than mixed martial arts. So you don't hear me saying, oh, man, no one should watch Conor McGregor fights because of his racist behavior. But if I did say that, someone could be like, well, hold on, Slim. You used to watch the Clippers all the time when Donald Sterling owned them. And because you and so many people watched the NBA so much, Donald Sterling was able to flip his team to two billion, billion with the B, billion dollars because of people watching the Clippers. Their value was that high. I'm a boxing fan. Sergey uh, Kovalev, he has said and done some really racist things in the past. I still watch this fight. He's one of my favorite fighters. I know that's crazy, but that's what it is. Now, imagine if I was saying, man, don't watch Conor McGregor fights. But someone then was like, well, hold on. You watched Andre Ward and Kovalev just a few weekends ago. You see how I sound? That sounds crazy. Just like you say, man, don't watch Floyd Mayweather because of the way he treats women. But you go to Chicago Cubs games when they play literally smack my bitch up when a man who was arrested for choking and firing a gun at his at a significant other. I want to say his wife, but it may not have been his wife. They play that after he plays like as he's walking away from the mound. You talk about making light of something normal like that's awful. You understand how do, how can you do both now? We all do that. We all fall short on some issues. You know, like I said, you may be against discrimination, but you may really like Chick-fil-A. Doesn't mean that you're, you support homosexuality. You may really, really love R. Kelly, but, but have told yourself, Hey, I can't, I can't support Chris Brown anymore. That's not you saying that you, you are okay with child pedophilia, but 
you know, domestic violence, that's where you draw the line. That's not you saying that you're okay with R. Kelly having sex with and, you know, doing some inappropriate actions with underage women, underage girls. No, but we all have, we all fall in line in these type of things. And this is just the life of a capitalist society. And but make no mistake, I'm not saying because no matter where you go, there's going to be dirt. So F it, you might as well just embrace it. No, it's important to let people know this is wrong. We all have different topics that are near and dear to our heart. And it's cool that we are in a space that we have platforms all over the place to let people know, yo, I don't like this. This is where I personally draw the line. The problem then becomes when you are telling other people they should also draw the line there because we all fall short at some point. You know what I mean? Somewhere along the line, there's something that you may like to do, whether it's the car you drive, whether it's the gas you put in your car, the clothes you wear, the, the, uh, the, the company that you buy your televisions from, the phone company or service you have. There's someone somewhere, the school you went, on top of all these companies that has done or feel something that is deplorable. And again, we all have issues that are near and dear to our heart. That's dope. That's fine. But be careful when you start telling other people what they should do, what they should protest, what they should boycott. Because if you are falling short and look nine out of 10 times, unless you are like this nomad running around and doesn't, you know, tries to live off the grid. We all fall short. And when you fall short in one capacity and then are trying to tell others what they should and shouldn't do, you look like a hypocrite and that undermines everything. So before you are the next person to say why you shouldn't watch Floyd, ask yourself, do you watch the Steelers? Do you go to Chick-fil-A? Do you watch Manny Pacquiao or whatever the long list of things, especially in sports? Do you watch Johnny Depp films? The list goes on and on. Be strong. Definitely take a stand. Tell the people why you feel so strongly, but just be careful that you're not preaching while also being accused of being a hypocrite. That's my time this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening after my week-long vacation. I appreciate you checking me out. Make sure you check me out on Twitter as well. I'm at Armon, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. Also, follow the show as well. We're at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. That's my time this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Catch me next Thursday again for another edition of the Quarterly Report.